You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who, along with Sam Dykstra and a host of our MLB Team reporters have just completed the top 30 prospects list for all 30 teams, as well as our farm system rankings. Guys, a lot of work. It's all done now. What, what are you going to do now? Jim, you're taking vacation. Well, just two days. But, I, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I may actually start working on my draft follow list in more detail. So it may be a working vacation since... Uh, don't not say really those things out loud. I'm not really heading anywhere, but uh, you know, I, I will say I always enjoy the farm system rankings because that signals that we finished the top thirty, the grueling top thirty process for thirty teams. So, like, I always look at that like that's kind of like you know, sigh of relief, we're done, uh, all good. So, uh, I, I always kind of celebrate the farm system rankings a little bit. I think it's fun to you know. It's also fun to sort of decide how we. St- stack them all up, uh, you know, after spending so much time putting together the top 30s and looking at it in totality, uh, obviously in an, an, an inexact science, but uh, the, there is that sense of satisfaction and completion, but also kind of looking to see where uh, where they all stack up uh, since we don't we, we don't personally do all 30 top 30. So it's, it's, it's fun to sort of look at them in totality. And I was going to say, Jonathan, too, like we get asked all the time, like, hey, you know, like in December or whatever, like, how does this, where's this system rank? It's one of those things until you actually sit down and spend some time looking at it, you can't just off the top of your head go, oh, yeah, Cardinals, 17th best farm system. You know, it's, you you, you actually have to line them up. So I, I enjoy doing that as well from that standpoint. We will look into that in much more depth. Uh, also, the, the, Top 30 lists and farm system rankings also kind of signal the beginning of the season as we do those right before the season starts. We're coming toward the end of spring training. We're going to take a look at uh, how some prospects have been performing in spring training. We are going to do what is now a weekly draft segment as we are getting closer and closer to the draft in July. We will check in on some of the top draft prospects. Um, And then we had a rookie of the year draft with Jim and Jonathan and Sam and Jesse Sanchez and Sarah Langs, uh, each drafted a player um, from the American League and National League that they think could be the Rookie of the Year this year. We'll talk about that, and we will wrap up, as always, by answering a question or two in the mailbag. Okay, so farm system rankings, top 10 farm systems. Uh, The way this worked, if you haven't been paying attention or this is the way it worked, even if you have been paying attention, we uh, rolled out the top 30 lists for uh, by division for each team that was not ranked in the top 10. And then we rolled out the top 10 and then we did the full farm system rankings. Um, And Jim, one of my favorite things when we do farm system rankings each year is just to kind of refresh my own memory about the fact that these things are pretty predictive. Uh, You know, you Going back in in our rankings, um, you know, you look at the teams that have ranked highly and pretty much without exception, they have gone on to success in the not too distant future. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I always say I, I have to get my standard line out here that, you know, anytime we rank the farm systems, one team thinks we nailed it and 29 teams think we've ranked them too low. And and there is some truth to that. I mean, it's, it's I would say, Jonathan, when you say this is probably the most difficult thing to rank because it's 200 something players in 30 different organizations, do we, is there anything we do that's more difficult to rank? Do you, do you think than this? Uh no, I don't think so. Uh, other than favorite Blimpy sandwiches, maybe that's a little no, tough. The Blimpy best uh, is a clear number one. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> right, but after that, it's muddled. See, that's what I'm saying. I, no, I think I think you're right. It it, it is because th- there are so many different things that that are variables. As you said, there's so many players. It's not just you know top 100 guys or elite level guys. It's not just depth. It's a combination of all the things. So it certainly makes it it difficult. I mean, I think by that token, we don't. Uh, I don't think we slave over it in the same way that we do, say, our overall top 100 list, just because it's hard to decide to move an entire organization from 15 to 14 uh, based on some small criteria. But all that, you know, and all that said, I mean, I I know from doing this for years, I feel like the top teams – are fairly obvious and the worst systems are fairly obvious. And then there's maybe 20 in the middle that when it shakes out and we look back 10 years later, they're, they're all over the place. But, but as, as Jason was saying to rank number one in this list, it does have a lot of predictive value because on our list, since we started doing this in 2015, the first three teams are ranked number one, the Cubs, the Red Sox and the Dodgers all have won the world series since then. And then the teams that succeeded them, the Brewers and the Braves have made three straight playoff appearances each. They've all both been to the NLCS. The White Sox and Padres are, are two of the bigger favorites to get to the World Series this year. And, and the Rays, who have been number one for, th- for three rankings in a row, got to the World Series last year. And, and I even looked back further that if you include Baseball America's rankings for before we were doing them, each of the last 14 World Series champions had a top 10 rated farm system at some point in the five years leading up to their title. Uh, the, the last exception was the 2006 Cardinals. And the reason they didn't was because everybody kind of criminally underranked Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina in, in retrospect. Um, and, and I know like I've made this point before, you know, in, in my years of Baseball America, almost every team that ranked number one, like was in the playoffs, like, like very soon thereafter, with the exception of the 1997 Pirates. Um, everybody else who ranked number one had, you know, almost immediate success within the next couple of years. So it, it does matter to rank at the top of these system rankings, uh, because it, you know, it, it signifies you have a ton of talent on the way and the best way to build a winner is through the farm system, you know, especially because of the financial advantages of what you're paying players and the flexibility it gives you. Um, and it does pay off. So a look at the top of this year's rankings. Uh, Jim mentioned the Rays at the top. The Rays' reign continues, and Jim mentioned three straight number one rankings. Prior to that, the Padres had been number one for four straight rankings. And when we're talking about rankings, we do uh, we rank the farm systems at preseason and then at midseason. Interestingly, we've had now a string of seven consecutive rankings with just those two teams at the top, the Rays and the Padres. Prior to that, the six rankings prior to that, we had no repeats. Um, this year's top ten – Rays, Tigers, Mariners, Marlins, Orioles, Padres, Blue Jays, Pirates, D-backs, and Royals. A few things stand out here, but one of them to me is the fact that, you know, perhaps not surprisingly, 
several of these top 10 systems have a large number of their top 30 prospects that were acquired by trade. Um, if you look at the top 10 compared to the rest of the teams, they have nearly twice as many on average uh, players acquired by trade as the teams that are not in the top 10. And I, I would guess, guys, that that has a lot to do with the fact that several of these teams are the types of teams that have gone through full-on rebuilds and are now at the point where they have accumulated a lot of these top-tier prospects. Yeah, I think that's that's right. You know, what happens, I think it's a, a familiar path. And we've talked a lot about the, how difficult it is to win and have a good farm system at the same time. It's one of the things that makes the what the Rays are doing right now so amazing, because uh, for me, it, it's become more and more clear. We always thought they're clearly the, the top farm system, but the more digging into things, the, the more clear it's become. And they made it to the World Series, you know, at the same time. And that's that's difficult to do. We've talked about the Dodgers' ability to to do both, but by and large, uh, teams have to rebuild, and you know, they're so they're either restocking their system via early draft picks, and you know that helps them add elite level players, uh, or as you mentioned, Jason, you know, by trade. And I think you, know, you look at the Braves from a few years ago, you know, tons of trades, and they flipped the switch. The the Padres made uh, a bunch of of trades, and uh, you know are still rated highly, even though that they're now kind of on the other side of that coin and trading for big leaguers and giving up prospects. Uh, you know, looking at some of those other other teams, you know, the Orioles have uh, really started to to rebuild a lot. The the Pirates have made a ton of trades to to add more depth and elite level talent as of right now. But yeah, I think that's uh, that's the kind of the the formula that typically goes on as as these lists kind of ebb and flow and, and change direction. Looking at the Rays, I think is it safe to say that they were the clear number one? Was there was there any debate among you guys no i i I think it was pretty easy i mean they basically have everything you want i mean they've got you know we're not ranking this based on oh who's got the most top 100 prospects but they do have the most they have eight they have guys who are ready to help immediately i mean their three best prospects i think we're all going to see you know probably play major roles in in tampa bay this year in in wander franco and luis patino and randy rosarena i mean they've got the best prospect in baseball in franco they've got you know Arazarena, they've got Vidal Brujan, they've got Xavier Edwards, they've got all kinds of pitchers with Luis Patino and Brennan McKay and Shane McClanahan and Shane Boz. And, and then you just look at the depth. I mean, I think Taylor Walls and Greg Jones are, are sleeper top 100 guys, um, and they're ninth and 10th on the list. You know, I look down the middle of the list, you got guys like J.J. Goss and Seth Johnson, who would be, you know, six, seven, eight on a lot of lists. You know, you, you have guys. They, they can't even crack the list. I mean, it, you know, it, they can't even crack their top 30 that could potentially be, you know, top 10, top 15 prospects in other systems. I mean, it's just, you know, they, they do a wonderful job of, you know, as Jonathan said, I mean, they're winning too. So it's not like they're picking at the top of the draft. I mean, they do get a competitive balance pick every year, but, you know, that's one pick, but, you know, and, you know, I, they do, they go out and they, I think their pro department does an excellent job and they, they, they make trades and, you know, and, and supplement that way. I mean, the Blake Snell trade obviously brought in Patino, but I mean, I look at guys like, you know, Pedro Martinez, who they got from the Cubs in a trade, he can't make the list. You know, John Duxaxis and, and Nick Schnell are a couple guys who were high picks in recent years, both from my half of the the, the, the country draft-wise, who, who are talented guys. I mean, you just can't squeeze 
all, all their players onto a top 30 list. And, you know, even, you know, Jonathan, I know in, in inbox, your pipeline inbox last week, you had a question about, you know, the, the part of it was if you took Wander Franco off the raise, where would their farm system rank? And, and I remember you know, looking at it when you, when you showed the question. And to me, I think there's still a top three farm system, even if you took the best prospect in baseball out of their organization. And I think like, you could actually argue that they still might have the best farm system in baseball, even if they didn't have Wander Franco. I mean, it's, they're just you know, killing it. You know, draft international trades doing a great job. Yeah, just quickly on that on that question, it was interesting because I think I was expecting to think, oh well, uh, they're still top ten, but maybe they'd be six or seven, uh, and then uh, it, it didn't do an exhaustive you know research project on it, but really just losing the one, you know, you know losing Franco for most other organizations would would really knock you down a whole bunch of notches but it it really would not it would it would only be i i yeah i think i said third maybe fourth at the at the most but uh it is amazing how deep the 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 system is overall you know be, well beyond the the 30 that we list and they still have randy rosarena jonathan so don't don't forget that i will not be baited moving on uh, the, the rays the rays have eight players on their top 30 list with a 55 overall grade or higher. Uh, no other team has more than six. Uh, they're also the only team that has no player with a 40 overall grade on their top 30. And Jim, you were talking about how they have guys that can't even make their list that could be 10 to 15 on other lists. And I was kind of wondering about that. And you kind of answered that the question that I had in my mind, which was how many, how far down the list uh, does do these 45 grades extend for them? And it sounds like, uh, there could be several others. So in addition to the, you know, the top tier guys at the top of the list, a lot of depth there as well. They have the highest average grades for hitters. Their their average hitter grade is a 50. Their average pitcher grade is also the highest among any list, which is also 50. Next up on the list is the Tigers, which interestingly is the first team we've ever had with five players in the top 25 overall. Uh, that dates all the way back to 2004 when we started uh, ranking the top 50 players overall in baseball. So while the Rays were the clear number one, the Tigers do have some really, really impressive talent at the top of their list. They're the only team that has three players with a grade of an overall grade of 60 or higher. Um, interestingly, I mean, when you guys think of this list, Right off the top of your head, what do you think is the as the the strength of the list? Well, you know, it's funny because you think I like I initially think about the three pitchers they have in my Scooble and Manning, but I actually think the, the Torkelson Spencer Torkelson Riley Green duo is right up there with Jared Kelnick and, and Julio Rodriguez as just like an amazing one-two offensive punch. So, like I I I think pitchers because we've we've thought of them in recent years as these guys have climbed through the minors, but I actually think it's that. That dynamic duo for me that jumps out the most. It's a combination, really. I mean, do we have to pick one? <clears throat> it's one of the reasons why we have them as high as they do. That 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 group of five is is kind of insane. But yeah, I think I think the first thing you think of is is pitching. Um, but uh, you know, I like the the combination that they have there. You know, there are a lot of teams. You, know, you mentioned the the Rays sort of being even in terms of their average grades. A lot of teams are skewed in one direction or, or another, even the top ten farm system. But uh, to have 
five guys in the top 25 and have like a, a really nice balance of pitching and hitting. That's why we have the Tigers, you know, a big reason why we have the Tigers ranked as high as we do. And the reason I asked that question is because for me, when I think of this list, it is those top five guys, but really it's like, you know, they already had the big three of Mize, Manning, and Scooble. You had Torkelson to that. Uh, Green has really come on. But like, to me, you think of the list and it's those, th- those big three pitchers is the first thing that comes to mind. And I think like, well, this is a kind of pitching heavy list. As it turns out, they have 22 hitters on their top 30 list, which is the most of any team in baseball. And, you know, they went all hitter in, in last year's draft, um, you know, all hitters. They, they took Torkelson number one. They got Dylan Dingler. They got Daniel Cabrera. They got Colt Keith. They got Trey Cruz. I'm forgetting another guy they got, I think. Um, anyway, um, I think all six of the guys they drafted, and I can't know why. I don't know why I'm blanking on the on the sixth hitter. But, you know, it's it'll be interesting. I mean, I do think that draft's going to be important for them because, it's, you know, I, I really – I mean, you, you, you can't not like that top five. However – like, I do think the depth starts to fall off somewhat quickly after that. I mean, they've had a number of their pitching prospects have been hurt. A bunch of their hitting prospects have, have either leveled off or are super young. So, oh, Gage Workman was the other guy. He's, he's the guy I'm forgetting. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because this – it's not inconceivable that all five of those, those guys who are in the top 25 could graduate to the big leagues this year. I mean, I really do think it's possible that Torkelson and Green could graduate this year couple notes on the Tigers before we move on. They only have six right-handed pitchers on their top 30 list, which is uh, fewer than all but one team. Only the Brewers have fewer right-handed pitchers on their top 30 list. And their 12 infield prospects on the top 30 is tied for the most of any team uh, with the Cleveland Indians. Um, all right, so we, we talk about the Tigers who have 22 hitters on their top 30 prospects list. The number three team uh, is at the other end of the spectrum, kind of pitching heavy. And this one I think is interesting too, because you think about the Mariners and you immediately think of Kelnick and J-Rod, the hitters, but they actually are tied for the most pitchers on a top 30 prospects list with 18. Uh, the hitters they do have on the list though, tied for the second highest average hitter grade at 49.58. Uh, the Mariners have 20 players with ETAs of either 2021 or 2022. So a lot of help on the way quickly. Uh, Only one team has more players that are projected to reach the big leagues between uh, over the course of the next two seasons. And that's the A's who has, uh, I believe, the oldest top 30 list of any of the 30 teams. So that's a little different situation. But uh, kind of funny that you have the the Tigers who you you think of their three big pitchers, but it's a very hitter heavy list and then you have the Mariners you think of their hitters but is a actually a pitchy pitching heavy top 30 list yeah I, I don't I don't find I mean maybe because I had done the Mariners list for for, for a while and it, it is interesting because they have the, the, the all the elite guys and the you know the elite arms too I mean Logan Gilbert and George Kirby they they've taken a college pitcher their last three uh Oh, and Emerson Hancock of course the most recent one the last three first rounds they've taken the college arm that certainly helped and it's it's kind of a weird list because I think this is another one where there is a, a good amount of drop off, and you've got a lot of likely relief, you know, which you need, you know, you you need you need bullpen help, but a lot of those arms that you talked about, Jason, at the in the back end of their list are all relievers, so there is a little bit of a 
of a, a slope there in terms of the the, the drop off and in, in terms of the talent on the system. But it's that it's that you know core at the top that that puts them this high. And then you know a couple of other guys, Nelvi Marte is a guy who is that on the cusp of being top one hundred. Just needs to go out and and play because he hasn't played in the United States yet uh, because of everything that happened last year. And that could give him another player who will come in, in back of, uh, you, uh, you know, Kelnick and, and J-Rod once, uh, once they graduate. A lot of these teams at the top do have a lot of help coming quickly. Of the uh, top six teams, all of them have at least 10 players that have ETAs of 2021. Um, those, six team, those six teams average 11.2 players with an ETA of 2021. The next five teams in the rankings average only 7.6. So, you know, these are teams that not only have very strong farm systems right now, but look like they're ready to pay dividends quickly. And I don't know if that's that surprising, honestly, because I mean, I do think one of the things when you're, when you're evaluating prospects and doing a top 100 is we tend to give extra credit to players who've proven it at higher levels and, you know, have more of a track record. I mean, the Marlins, when, when you talk, you know, and maybe it's because I do the Marlins list, but the, the Marlins jump out to me when, when you talk about the ETAs, because just looking at their list, I mean, a bunch of these guys have already been up. Sixto Sanchez was up last year. Jazz Chisholm was up last year. Um, Lewin Diaz was up last year. Trevor Rogers was up last year. Jesus Sanchez, Braxton Garrett, Nick Neidert. I mean, that's a ton of guys. They'll all be up again this year. And then I think, you know, there's a, we'll, we'll probably see J.J. Bleday this year. We'll probably see Edward Cabrera this year. Um, you know, we, we could see Max Meyer this year. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. You know, and the, the other thing that I think about with these ETAs, Jason, is, is when you mention that is, you know, maybe not the Rays, but the, the, the teams behind them, if they graduate as many guys as we think they will this year, the, the, the top of our, our farm system list could look a lot different next year. I, I think we're going to see a lot of turnover at the top. I'm, I'm glad you said that because my next question was, so we, we've talked about the top three teams in detail, the Rays, Tigers, Mariners. Jim just touched on number four, the Marlins. Um, number five are the Orioles. And I, my next question was going to be, so we don't, you know, we're, we're not going to talk about every one of these teams in detail, but of the next six teams, the Orioles, Padres, Blue Jays, Pirates, D-backs, and Royals. Who do you see with an up arrow? Who do you see trending up? And maybe more specifically, do you see any of those teams being potentially the top farm system in baseball a year or two from now? The Diamondbacks, maybe. I I think because I think the Diamondbacks have the youngest team on there, and I don't know that they're going to graduate. Like, I'm just looking at their list. The only guy who I think is like a good chance to graduate this year in the upper 10 or 12 prospects on their list is Corbin Martin. Like we've got a, a 2021 ETA on, on Geraldo Perdomo, which seems a little aggressive because he hasn't played above high A, but you know, they've, they've got all those outfielders, you know, Corbin Carroll, Christian Robertson, Alec Thomas. They had that, they have all the guys they drafted when they had, I think what was it? Seven, of the top 77 picks in, in 2019. And so I, I think when I look at those teams, they're the team that looks to me like they're going to lose the fewest guys and their guys are going to continue to get better. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good guess. And they pick sixth in the draft. Yep. Um, so so that that will help. And I mean, that's the the one 
you know, the Pirates are going to lose Cabrian Hayes, and, and he's their lone elite-level player. I do think uh, Leover Pogrero has a chance to jump in and, and be a top 100. And they've got a lot of young guys who could make that step forward. You, you know, we don't know, what, you know, what uh, you know how high Quinn Priester is going to go or what Brendan Malone might end up looking like. Uh, most of the guys they got via trade are not elite-level, and then they're going to have the number one pick in the draft. Um, so I, I think that's they're the other team. I, I don't think they're as strong a candidate as, as the D backs, uh, but especially because they will get that top pick, um, they should make a leap forward, even even with losing Cabrian Hayes. Yeah, among the top ten farm systems, the Pirates have the fewest players slated to be in the big leagues this year at six, um, fifteen. Uh, projected to be in the big leagues either this year or next year, which is uh, tied for the fewest uh, among the top 10 farm systems with the Blue Jays. So, uh, yeah, I think you're you're right on there, Jonathan. Okay, uh, the top 10 farm systems as well as all 30 team farm systems are ranked. You can go to MLB.com slash pipeline and see those complete rankings. When we come back, we're going to look at how some of the game's top prospects are faring in spring training. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We've been talking farm system rankings, and now we want to talk about some spring training action. We've seen a lot of the game's top prospects in Spring training, grapefruit league, and cactus league action, and uh, several of them performing very well. Um, looking down the list, so we, we have this great page. If you have not seen this, go to MLB.com slash pipeline, go to uh, stats section, and here you can see how all of the team top 30 prospects are doing in spring training. Once we get into the big league season, you can see how they're doing. You can look at how they do on a day-to-day basis. You can look at how they're doing over the course of the past week, month. Uh, fantastic page put together by Darren Wilman. Right now, I'm, I've got this page sorted by spring training, total bases, and at the top of that list, Bobby Dahlbeck, Key Brian Hayes, 
Akil Badu, Ryan Mountcastle, Nick Prado, Andrew Vaughn, Elio Ramos, Jaron Duran, Josh Palacios. So an interesting mix of names there. Got, uh, what, three, four, five top 100 prospects. Uh, got a Rule 5 guy. Uh, got a guy in Nick Prado who has struggled mightily at the plate. Haven't seen him in a while, and all of a sudden he's tearing it up in uh, in spring training. Jonathan, is there anyone here in particular or even anyone off of this list that is, uh, has caught your eye? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of those at the top are are, are really interesting. Obviously, you know, uh, Brian Hayes, you know, we knew was going to be the starting third baseman. There were high expectations, and he's hit the ground running. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, we knew was going to make the the Orioles out of spring training. I think Badu is is really interesting, uh, just because it's rare uh, to see a guy go in the Rule Five draft who you know has a chance to. To have an impact, and you know, the Tigers have have done this before, and I'm not saying they're the same player, but when they took Victor Reyes, um, you know, as a as a Rule Five guy who got a lot of at bats and and could produce, you know, Akil Badu's got tons of tools. There, there's a lot of swing and miss. He's just missed a lot of times, had injuries. <clears throat> the Twins knew they were rolling the dice a, a little bit <clears throat> and not protecting him. Uh, but they thought because he had missed so much time and hadn't really played much at the upper levels that there was there was a chance. But you know he's being given an opportunity. The Tigers are rebuilding, uh, so he should get an opportunity to see if he can continue uh, to make the adjustments that he's made so far this spring. Very very small sample size, but you know when you're a Rule Five pick, this is the only sample size you have. Uh, to show that you belong, and he came ready. And so uh, it'll be fun to see how much playing time he gets and, you know, when he struggles for the first time, how, you know, how how he'll adjust to that and and whether his playing time gets uh, adjusted. But we haven't had a Rule 5 guy uh, have a real impact. Uh, what's maybe like in, in terms of a position player, especially probably since Odubel Herrera with the Phillies, and I think Badu has a chance to to be that kind of player for the Tigers this year. Yeah, the, the guy who's interested me has been Prado. I mean, this was a guy he was part of. I think there were, I want to say, five first basemen taken in the first round of the 2017 draft, and and some of them have struggled, including Nick. I mean, he was a guy who was supposed to be a fairly polished hitter coming out of high school. Hit 191 the last time we saw him in 2019 in high A. You know, had gotten off to a slow start before the year before in low A and kind of came on the second half. But, I mean, he's got, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's got the potential to be an above average hitter with above average power and, and a really quality gold glove caliber defender at first base. You know, we, we've talked about the Royals. You know, and all these pitchers they've drafted, you know, Singer got, was up last year. Bubich was up last year. You know, Jackson Coar's coming. Daniel Lynch is coming. They just took Asa Lacey. They need some hitters to come through, too. And, and you know, while Bobby Witt got the, the bulk of the, the spotlight this spring training, Nick Prado has had a, a very nice, you know, spring and a surprise. You know, and you can't, you know, I caution myself all the time. I'm not going to read too much into, into spring training stats. But you have to be encouraged by the way he's hit. You know, even if it is a small sample size, he he's looked really good at the plate. You guys picked uh, a couple of the guys who have not played above a ball, and I think I guess you know we're going to see potentially quite a bit of that. You know, we saw it last year where we had this influx of players making the jump straight from 
uh, a ball to the big leagues, uh, you know, like we'd never seen because of the, the circumstances. And I, I guess, you know, we have a chance to see that again this year. Um, I was, I was scanning through that list of the, the guys that I rattled off and I had to look because you would think that some of these guys have certainly played above class a, um, and you just have to consider the fact that nobody played last year. And Andrew Vaughn is, uh, another one of those guys, but as you continue down this list, uh, Tuspita Marcano, Bobby Witt Jr., C.J. Abrams are the next three players on this list if you're looking at uh, top prospects and total bases accumulated this spring training. So three more young guys, 21, 20, and 20 years old, who are uh, getting a chance in spring training, and we've not seen them to this point perform uh, against competition of nearly this caliber. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk the 2021 draft here on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, and Jonathan Mayo. And as we've been doing each week lately, we're going to talk a little bit about the 2021 draft. And as we've been doing each week lately, we're going to talk about the Vanderbilt duo of Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. They've done it. Who? Yeah, they've, they've done it again. Um, they keep giving us reason to, to talk about them. Um, initially, they were dominating and it was, well, they haven't done it against good competition yet. Let's wait until they get into the heart of their schedule. And, and now, they're, now they're doing it against nationally ranked teams this week. Rocker went out, struck out 14, and Leiter came right behind him, struck out 16, and threw a no-hitter. Yeah, yeah, and then those, those were the first two. <laughs> Rocker actually has an ERA now. He had not given up an earned run uh, before that, uh, but now he's given up two. He's slipping. Or he, I'm sorry, he's, he, yeah, he's given up two. And, uh, and now Jack Leiter has moved ahead of him in the team ERA lead 0.31 to 0.58. I mean, I think the, the, the impressive thing about Leiter, and we've talked about this uh, with his no-hitter, and we've talked about this you know, throughout the season, is he threw a ton of strikes. You know, this is a guy who, coming into the game, you know, not a huge sample size. I think it was like 36 college innings going into that game, uh, had walked. 18 hitters and had not been real consistent with his control and command. And he walked the leadoff hitter, uh, making it, you know, he's making his SEC debut, walks the leadoff hitter, and then nobody else reached base against him. And he struck out 16. And, and, you know, so, you, you know, like I'd said last week, when Kumar Rocker dominated Oklahoma State, 
if you're taking Kumar Rocker number one, that's the kind of outing you wanted to see. And, and you know, yes, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious, you know, a no-hitter is going to make you feel pretty good. But I think almost more impressive was the 16 strikeouts and one walk. Um, you know, he relied heavily on his fastball. All 16 of his strikeouts were via the fastball. He sat around 93-94, touched a lot of sixes and sevens. Um, you know, interestingly, when Kumar Rocker threw his no-hitter in the, in the NCAA playoffs a couple years against Duke, all 19 of his strikeouts were on his slider. Um, and I had somebody make an interesting point to me um, who, who watches a lot of Vanderbilt games. And he said, you know, the difference to him between Leiter and Rocker is that Jack Leiter gets swings and misses in the strike zone. Kumar Rocker gets guys to chase the slider and the fastball out of the strike zone. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting point. I want to run by some more people as we begin to dig deeper. Um, you know, Jack Leiter, 29 innings this year has yet to give up an extra base hit. Um, and they're both having pretty ridiculous years. And it gets better and better. You know, you know, we don't, I don't want to belabor the point about the the command, but that, that, those were the the things. And, you know, we, we said all along with Kumar Rocker, when everyone was anointing him, you know, the guy in a, in a sort of, in Steven Strasburg-esque hushed tones, and both Jim and I were like, pump the brakes, let's wait and see. But what he's done over his last... Now, three starts in particular is done what you you want to see. You know, you want the guy who is the the front runner to be the number one pick to go out and kind of run away and hide. You know, in a perfect world, and and that's what he's done. Other than the fact that his teammate is you know kind of following close behind him, uh, but uh, then to see Lighter go out and do what he did. You know, it'll be interesting to see over the course of the year if he can maintain not not that kind of insane pace. But if the command is improvement in those first few starts, really more just him kind of getting himself comfortable because we've had such a small sample size uh, of him. We don't really know who he is as a pitcher. He didn't get a chance last year. He did struggle with command, but it was also early. Uh, So if he goes out and continues to, to not only dominate, but dominate while filling the strike zone and not, you know, jacking up his pitch counts because of the walks, uh, then we know he's taken that that next step forward, and and the the hype that has been sort of bubbling uh, around these two guys will be even more well deserved. So Vanderbilt's coach Tim Corbin was on High Heat on the MLB Network yesterday, and uh, was obviously talking about these two guys quite a bit. Uh, on lighter, he said, "I think the fastball is what separates them. You put you can put a velocity number on it, whether it's 95, 96." But you've seen guys in the past, whether it's Clemens, Schilling, they have a fastball that jumps up on the hitter, and this does. Uh, but then he went on to say he's not just a fastball guy. This is a guy who can throw a cutter, he throws a changeup, and he throws a breaking ball. He's got a wide assortment of pitches. And then in talking about Rocker, I mean, here's a guy with you know all kinds of tools in terms of his arsenal with the, the fastball and the, uh, the, the wipeout slider. And he says he competes. And he said, I think you could say that about both of them, but Kumar is a competitor. So I, uh, he said he's only out there for one reason, to blast the other team. That's all he cares about. He doesn't worry about posturing or what it looks like. I would think that you have to like that in a guy uh, who obviously has the physical tools, but when you're looking at a potential number one overall pick, that's got to come into play. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think you also like the fact, too, that, you know, look, both these guys, you know, showed first round potential in high school, could have been paid a lot of money to turn pro out of high school. 
And there have been guys in the past with that kind of pedigree who go to college and yeah, you know, they want to win, but it's also about, you know, protecting their arm and positioning themselves for the draft down the road. And these two guys are not like that. I mean, granted, I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's too many guys in the Vanderbilt program who are ever like that, just with the with the way Tim coaches and what that program means to, to the players in it. But these guys are out there to win. Like I I, I mean, look, they're both gonna go good in the draft. They they could wind up going one and two in the draft, but I don't think that either of those guys sits there and is worrying about that right now. I think like, you know, we talked to Kumar, we interviewed him last off season and, and, you know, Kumar is a, you know, he already won one national championship and he, shoot, he was the MVP at the college world series too. And he got him there by throwing a 19 strikeout, no hitter, you know, Kumar, you know, wants to win another one. And, and, and the, these guys, it's all about winning. Um, and you know, yes, you, you do love to see that. You, you love the makeup on these guys. It, it just adds to the package. Yeah, and I think you know, with uh, with Rocker, the one added thing that that gives it, it's it seems you know the first thing you think is like, well, of course he's a competitor. You know, he's at an SEC program, things like that. I think where it will bode well is if he is the number one guy with all this hype, it's not going to bother him. It, it, it might actually fuel him. He's going to continue to work on you know landing that slider in the strike zone more as he faces more advanced hitters, you know, improving that third pitch, making sure the command is, is good enough that the stuff plays. Um, and the, and the same with lighter, you know, he growing up around the game and, and understanding it and, and, and his, you know, overall feel for pitching and mixing his pitches and, and not being afraid to go right after hitters. He was like that. Uh, you know, when I saw him before his senior year of high school, where he had largely, you know, he had been in showcases and things like that, but you know, the smaller private school in New Jersey, the level of competition he was facing during a high school season didn't come close to what he saw that summer, and he didn't blink. You know, he just got better, and I think that's a, you know, a sign for both of those guys that they rise to to the occasion that's provided them, especially with the spotlight that will be eventually on them as wherever they go, you know, in the draft, whether it's one and two, one and three, you know, whatever. We now move on to the non-rocker lighter subsection of our, uh, our draft segment. Uh, there, as, as we stated last week, there are other draft prospects what? to talk about. Yeah. Give me two picks in the draft and that'll be it. Jonathan, you want to talk about some college catchers? Yeah. I, you know, it's uh college Bats are always interesting because I think they tend to you know rise up if they perform, and I think this year in particular it's fascinating because none of them have been seen in in a year uh, for for the most part. So, getting having guys go out and perform well uh, is only going to help them, and if they can catch, uh, then that obviously adds to their value. So the the guy who's at kind of the top of the list is is Adrian Del Castillo at Miami. And he's a guy that we had you know, very high on our top 100 in the fall. No one questions whether he can hit. And he started a little slowly, but he's coming on now. He's hitting five straight games. He's up to, to 311 with the 935 uh, ops. Uh, the bat is not in question. It's the, you know, the, the defense that, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, I heard from one scout who said it's been fair and that may have been being kind. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, Jim, uh, the, the, if we, we could play the 
play the game, uh, if, if this would be the game for the podcast, would be Zach Collins? Question mark. Because that's the the guy that uh, who's you know sort of offensive minded college catcher. Whether they're better or worse defensively than Zach Collins, I, I think um, he's better. Don't don't you like a little bit better? I, Del Castillo. I'm not so sure. Um, I've I've gotten mixed things. You know, I, and I have to like dig in a little bit deeper. But it it was with with both of the guys who I wanted to talk about that was uh, that was brought up. Um, you know, Henry Davis at Louisville's got a a plus plus arm. Um, but the rest of the defensive package that it, you know, depends on who you talk to, but the offensive profile is ridiculous and he's just gone out and, and shown it so far. He's at 412 with the 512 on base and 706 slugging, five homers, 23 runs batted in, 13 walks and only seven strikeouts so far this year. So he, you know, and he was a guy who we had uh, right around 25, 26 on our top 100. I think there's an up arrow next to his name as well because of how he's, swung the bat and then I think it's going to depend on whether you think he can catch or you're going to have to move him to to another position but in both of these cases Zach Collins's name was brought up as a a bit of a measuring stick yeah and I don't know if I am a little harsh on on Zach Collins but I did because I just got Zach Collins fatigue because he was on the White Sox top 30 for so long when I was writing that every year I I I do think Del Castillo is a better pure hitter like Collins is that three true outcomes type of type of hitter, and I and I'm not worried about Del Castillo putting putting the bat on the ball. And you know, it, it's funny you bring up Henry Davis. Maybe think of Alex Benellis, who who came into the year ranked as one of the top you know college hitters in the entire draft and got off to a, a dreadful start. I think he was something like two for. 32 or something um, before he's picked it up in SEC play. But, uh, you know, it, I, I think we're going to see a lot of volatility when we do the next draft rankings, just because it was, especially on the college guys, based on so much less information than we would have in a normal year with the, the season being shortened and no Cape Cod League and no Team USA and no various summer leagues that I, I am, you know, like we're talking about with the the farm system rankings. I'm actually looking forward to when we do that, seeing how guys shake out because, you know, there, there's just so much volatility this year. Okay. So let's move on from the real draft to a fake draft. I guess it was a real draft. Uh, Jim and Jonathan uh, mentioned this uh, when we previewed the show earlier, um, along with Sam Dykstra and Jesse Sanchez and Sarah Langs have participated in a rookie of the year draft. And the way this worked was uh, it it was a snake draft, even though it was only 10 picks. Um, Each person uh, selected a rookie of the year candidate from the American League and then from the National League. We started in the American League. Jim got the first pick. And Jim, this, as it turns out, allows you to talk more about Randy Rosarina. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't get asked about him enough. No, it, it was funny because I, you know, I, I thought that that was it was. I, I was glad I had the number one pick in the American League because I felt like that was there was an obvious guy there, and there were all kinds of guys in the National League. Although I, I, I picked a little enough not to get any of the obvious guys in the National League. But no, I mean, I, I just think Rosarena, like uh, you guys may have heard, he hit ten homers in twenty playoff games last fall. He, he played very well in September. Um, you know, I. I do have like some swing and miss concerns about him, but I think he's going to hit 
you know, as I said, you know, when we're drafting, I think he's going to hit 270 and probably have 25 to 30 homers and 15 or so steals. And to me, he's the, I think the clear favorite in the American League to be rookie of the year. Whereas when we get to National League, we'll talk about, I think you could go in a bunch of different directions. The number two pick in the American League went to Sarah Langs and she took Jared Kelnick, who, you know, Jim, I know, uh, was it was it in the intro of this story that uh, you talked about the fact that you have to have the opportunity? You can have all the uh, skills and all the tools in the world, but if you don't have the opportunity, you're not gonna you're not gonna be taken in uh, one in one of these uh, drafts. But Kelnick is a guy who doesn't necessarily have the same opportunity that a Rosarina is gonna have, uh, but he went second to. Sarah Langs will see, you know, when we see him in the big leagues. And I, I think that the expectation is that as soon as we see him, we will uh, start seeing him perform. Um, the number three pick on the list went to Jonathan Mayo. And Jonathan, you took Andrew Vaughn. I did. I did. You know, and I think with Kelnick, he's he's going to he's going to hit his way to an opportunity. And you know, the the left field job in Seattle is a little bit up in the air. And, uh, you know. Someone may fill it for now until they decide they want to bring Kelnick up. Um, but uh, so I think he'll he'll get enough at bats to 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 compete. So I think that pick made sense. And for me, you know, Vaughn, we all knew that he could hit. Uh, you know, he hadn't played a whole heck of a lot, but he's hit really well this spring. We we talked about him just a, a little while ago in terms of uh, how well he's performed and there appears to be the, the, the opportunity for him, uh, you know, largely at DH, uh, but I'm sure they'll sprinkle him into at first base to give Abreu uh, a day off. They can flip flop on occasion. And I, I just think that he's, you know, he's he just born to hit. And I, I think he's not going to have too much trouble making the transition to the big leagues, even though he's got such a, a small amount of pro experience under his belt. Uh, this is a guy who has the chance to, to hit over 300 and to, you know, hit 30 plus homers and drive in a whole lot of runs. And uh, all that adds up to a, a rookie of the year candidate to me. The fourth pick in the American League went to Sam Dykstra, who took the number one prospect in baseball and Wander Franco. Uh, Jim, Jonathan, what do you think about this pick? Do you think he's going to get enough time to warrant consideration this year? I think it's possible. I, but I, I would say probably not a strong contender. I, you know, the, the problem is they just have a talented team. Now, could he take over at third base? He could. Um, but my, my get, like, I, I'll go out on the limb and say, well, not, not going on a limb. I would not have picked him there at four. I could see him getting consideration, but I would not have picked him there at four. I would have gone. I, I would have done well. I, I like the Andrew Vaughn pick, Jonathan. Kudos to you. Fine pick. Thank you. And, you know, picking fourth or fifth, I would have taken guys like a Bobby Dahlbeck or a Ryan Mountcastle who are going to have an opportunity from day one and who have already performed a little bit in the majors. Um, you know, they're on lesser teams. You know, if Franco comes up and let's say he struggles at all, well, the Rays are contending. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to get at bat. So I, from an opportunity standpoint, I, I would have probably gone in a different direction there. For something like this, since this is, you know, all kind of a theoretical draft, I understand why Sam would you know want to give the nod to, to Wander Franco uh, you know, I don't think I would pick him uh, if it were this were like some sort of rookie fantasy league team, and I needed to be sure I was accruing stats. But what if you were putting twenty five thousand on it, Jonathan, I am not putting twenty five thousand on it. 
as much as I like Andrew Vaughn. But uh, yeah, I I think I think there's a good chance that Wander Franco graduates off of prospect lists this year. I think there's less of a chance that he accrues enough time to really be in contention for rookie of the year. All right. And the number five pick to Jesse Sanchez was Nick Madrigal of the White Sox. Uh, We then moved on to the National League. And by virtue of having the last pick in the American League, Jesse got the first pick in the National League. He took Key Brian Hayes, uh, who I think seems to be the presumptive favorite for the National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, Sam Dykstra took Ian Anderson, number two, uh, the first pitcher to go on either side. And then, Jonathan, you had the third pick again in the National League, and you took Dylan Carlson. Again, an opportunity. And I would have, you know, I actually thought that uh, maybe if Sam took a bat, I would take Ian Anderson, uh, just based on, you know, what he did last year, <clears throat> the fact that he is going to be certainly in the rotation. So he's going to get plenty of opportunity uh, to, to, to put up some numbers. But since he was gone, I mean, I really do think that the Dylan Carlson we saw down the stretch last year is the Dylan Carlson we're going to see full time in in 2021. Uh, and this is a guy who can, can do a lot of everything really, really well. So I, I think on a team that hopes to compete, he's he, he's not going to be counted on to carry the the entire offensive load. There are veterans there, so I I I, I was pleased uh, you know with with that pick. But as Jim alluded to. Even if Hayes is the, <clears throat> excuse me, is the presumptive favorite uh, going in, th- there are more credible options, I think, uh, than than there were in the American League in terms of that guy to go in the top spot. I mean, you all know I would take Hayes if I were picking one, but uh, that's the homer in me. A second pitcher went at number four in the National League to Sarah Langs. That was Sixto Sanchez, and then Jim. A uh, bit of a wild card with number five in the National League. Not a prospect, I guess, is what, what makes him a wild card, but Ha-Song Kim of the Padres. Well, I could have gone Henry Rowengartner if this was a true Rookie of the Year draft, but uh, wow. I, I, I did not. Yeah, Jason, has not Jason has not seen that. It's a, <laughs> it's a sports film, Jason, so you haven't seen it. I avoid those so, at all costs. But, but anyway, um, you know, Hassan Kim not helping me by going three for 29 in spring training so far. So uh, I, I think he got wind of my pick and is, is apparently trying to undermine me a little bit. But no, it's, you know, I, I thought there were four clear candidates in the National League and they all went one through four. And, and you know, I will again give kudos to Jonathan because I thought I, I would have picked Dylan Carlson second. I would always take hitter over pitcher in a rookie of the year voting because as a pitcher, you're somewhat dependent on the team behind you to have a good year. But, you know, Kim is a guy who, you know, despite his struggles, you know, he's got a four-year $28 million contract. The Padres didn't pay him to come and not play. You know, I think he's going to be one of these guys who bounces all over the lineup, maybe plays, you know, five or six different positions, you know, gets, you know, 400 plus at bats. You know, I think he's going to be double digits, homers and steals. He's an on base guy. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to wind up being pretty valuable to the Padres when all is said and done. And uh, yeah, there, there just wasn't a, a clear cut. You know, there were, there were four really good prospects who have clear opportunities to play on opening day. And then I didn't see a clear fifth guy. So I, I went off the board a little bit with Kim. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. We have a couple of questions to answer this week. Uh, you can always tweet your questions at Jim and Jonathan when they 
send out a solicitation for questions, you can also uh, email them to pipeline at mlb.com. First question comes from PJ, original UYF1950 is handle. It says, don't know if you can answer this or not. Well, now you know we're going to. Uh, I'm curious, has a major college baseball team ever had the first two players in the same year draft picked one and two? It seems it could be the case this year with Bandy's rocker and lighter. We've never had happen before, and it could happen this year. It, it's come very close twice. In 1978, uh, Arizona State, Bob Horner went number one overall to the Braves and then went straight to the big leagues and was the National League Rookie of the Year. And Hubie Brooks, who played alongside him in the Sun Devils infield, uh, was the number three overall pick by the Mets. And then in, in 2011, which was you know one of the deeper drafts in recent memory, uh, Garrett Cole went number one out of UCLA um, to the Pirates. And Trevor Bauer went number three overall to the Diamondbacks. And uh, you know, one thing that I thought was interesting, I, I did some quick research. I remember those two off the top of my head, and there was not a third. But it kind of surprised me when I was I was scanning real quick to make sure I wasn't missing anybody. In 1983, I mean, I'm sorry, 1982, we had two players drafted one and three: Sean Dunstan to the Cubs, Jimmy Jones to the Padres. Actually, drafted out of Thomas Jefferson High Schools in different states. And I, I kind of did a double take when I was looking at the draft list at first. I was like, I didn't remember two guys from the same high school going one and three, but not the same high school, just the same named high school. That does not count. No, it does not. But it, it, it still it, it caused me to do a an actual double take when I saw it, like going, wait a minute, what's going on here? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tack on a, a question to this question. Uh, $25,000 on the line. Do Rocker and Lighter go one, two this year? If you have to answer right now, yes or no? Yay or nay? Nay. I will say nay. Double nays. So you okay. can get $50,000, Jason. I, I will be looking for it. But you could be out $50,000 also. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Uh, well, three, I guess. Uh, this was emailed in. Hey, Jim, there has been the Wit versus Abrams debate, but let me pose the Wit versus Franco debate. If you had to take one right now to build your franchise around, who would it be? And while it was a small sample size, would Wits Spring have impacted his top 100 placement at all? Do I get to go first, even though it was addressed to you, Jim? Yeah, I, I was going to, you know, it's funny. I was actually going to say, since I answered the last question, why don't you go first? You did put though- out the call for questions, so it only stands to reason. So I will say uh, the to the second question, no, his top, his, his top, the uh, spring would not have impacted his top 100 placement at all. And I love Bobby Witt. Um, and I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Uh, so then answering the first question, <clears throat> I would, uh, I would still, st- I'm all choked up when I talk about these you love Bobby Witt. I do love Bobby Witt. Um, but I still would take Wander Franco. Um, but you know, it, like uh, to me, I, I'd, I'd happily pick second in that draft, you know, so if someone takes Wander Franco, I'm not going to be upset about taking Bobby Witt. Um, sort of like the Royals were not upset in picking number two, uh, when they were able to draft him. But, uh, you know, we have Wander Franco as the number one prospect for, for a reason. And, you know, Witt wasn't even the number two prospect. Uh, you know, I think it was very impressive what Bobby Witt Jr. did in really what was his first real spring training um, of, of any length. Uh, I think he's probably going to move faster than people may have thought, given that he was a high school guy. But I still would give Wander Franco the edge. 
And I was going to say, um, I, I will second both those thoughts. Um, and the question came from Joe Lacates, uh, who actually has been asking me questions since I was doing Ask BA at Baseball America years and years ago. And Joe always has good questions. And no, I agree. The spring training performance doesn't really mean much to me in terms of the guy's long-term potential. I mean, you know, it, it's good to see. It was it was fun to watch Bobby Wood Jr. I don't think it really changes his his prospected goodness that much because he, you know, was hot for 25 at-bats in spring training. And and I, too, would take Wander Franco. I, I, I think, you know, when you have guys who are close, I would tend to bet bet on the guy who has the better bat. That's a tongue twister. Um, and Wander Franco just has an unbelievable bat. You know, we, we have an 80 hit tool on him and, you know, obviously don't throw those out very often. I think it's interesting. I think you can, I don't even think it's a case. I think it's, it's true. I think Witt's got more raw power. He's faster. He's got a better arm. He's a better shortstop. Um, they may wind up having close to similar, similar usable power, um, when, when all is said and done, but, uh, you know, it, it's close. I would still take Wander Franco over Bobby Wood Jr. Even after the, after the spring, but it, it has gotten me excited about Bobby Wood Jr. And, you know, CJ Abrams and Marco Luciano, all three of those guys are going to be in the big leagues very, very soon. That is going to be a wrap for this week's edition of the MLB pipeline podcasts. Thanks to everyone for listening and an extra special thanks this week to our producer, Danny G. Dan Gentili, who has been with us for the past few months working on this show and has done a fantastic job. Uh, wanted to thank him very much for all of his efforts. Um, for all of you listening out there, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Man, glad that's over with. No more pop quizzes. No, seriously, thanks, guys. Hey, what's this button do?